Welcome to the Triage Method Podcast, Thursday edition. That means we're doing Q&A edition, in and out, no BS, straight to the point, tell you what you need to know. This week's question is, is volume load useful? That's pretty much it. Pretty simple question, but requires some defining before we can actually go forth with it. With it, not with. Jesus, am I from Kerry? With it. Yes, you are from Kerry. Uh, <laughs> with it. So when people talk about volume load, what they are typically referring to is a calculation that is used to quantify one's training volume. Can sometimes be useful, probably not most of the time, but we'll get into the nuances. The calculation is very simple. It very simply is the number of sets by the number of reps at a given weight. Okay, so for example, if one was to do 10, not, I'm not going to say 10 because who does 10 sets of an exercise? Five by 10, that's 50. So five sets of 10, that's 50. At 100 kilos with a given weight, you'd multiply 50 by 100 and you get 10,000. Is that correct? No, 1,000. 5,000. Just remember, everyone, Lita <laughs> is literally studying medicine. I thought I was talking about 200 kilo squats. I was like, God, 100 kilos is weak. Right, so what did I say it was? 50 by 100? Yeah, 5,000. 5,000 kilos of training volume. Okay, very simple. Simple calculation for some, not for others, right? So 5,000 kilos of training volume. And you're just kind of like, okay, that is that. And you're kind of wondering, is that good? Is that bad? Is that indifferent? But that's how people pretty much calculate it. So that's your volume load. It's 5,000 kilos. If you were to do 10 sets of 10, then you'd have, you know, 10,000 kilos or yeah, that's what I'm working with and so on and so on and so on. Okay. The reason that people use that is because it's kind of a convenient way of saying, this is how many total kilos I lifted throughout the course of my workout. And the theory would be that if you just keep doing more, that that's going to lead to greater adaptations. However, the fallacy there is that more training just leads to more adaptations and that the kilo, the amount of kilos that you lifted is the actual stimulus, whereas that is not necessarily the case. And an easy way of, of kind of getting closer to that idea would be, you know, if someone was to do like a couple of sets of 100, you know, 100 reps at a really, really lightweight, they could equate their volume load but that stimulus is clearly very, very different and isn't necessarily going to lead to the same training outcomes. And like when we're thinking about training, what we always, always, always have to think about is what we are lifting relative to what we are able to lift and how that relates to the adaptations that we are looking for. So for example, if you are looking to develop maximal strength and one rep max is your goal, then doing those sets of 100 the given volume load and, and saying, all right, I'm, I'm increasing my volume load. It's not necessarily any way specific to the adaptations that you were looking for. And hence you're not necessarily moving close to that direction. Additionally, the volume load in terms of like that being a quantifier, that doesn't actually tell you exactly how, you know, challenging any of those reps were, you know? So you have to consider like what the rate of perceived exertion, how many reps in reserve were there to try to understand exactly how many reps you were from failure and to understand how close that was to what you were able to do. Because if you did, you know, five sets of five sets of 10 at hundred kilos, um, but your, your squat, your squat max is like 250. It's like, yeah, that's, that's fine. That's, that's a number, but that doesn't actually tell you how close you were from failure or isn't even a productive training stimulus in that case. And if you were to continue just doing, if you were to say, all right, well, 
5,000 kilos is just too little for that person, then you could easily just say, all right, then why don't we just do 20 sets of 10 at 100 kilos? And clearly, I think most people, even on a basic intuitive level, would understand that doing 10 sets or sets of 10 at like 30 to 40% of your one rep max is probably not going to lead to very robust increases in one rep max versus doing, say, 80 to 90% of your one rep max. So there are some inherent differences there. So I guess straight off the bat, like my initial impression when I look at something like volume load, it's like, yeah, it's cute. You know, it's nice to try and quantify what you're doing in training, try to get some numbers. But I think this is like one of those cases where not everything um, that can be counted counts, you know, and in this case, what we're basically doing is trying to count something that doesn't give us very reliable information. And, you know, as we get more and more into kind of a more quote unquote scientific approach to training, people often think that we just need to count loads and loads of things, but that's not really your goal. Your goal is really to only count the things that really give you information about um, about you know what what your training is actually doing to your body you know how how challenging this training is and that's why something like the number of sets that were really challenging for a particular muscle group like that's a muscle, much less sexy approach and on the you know at, at first glance it looks really non-scientific but for something to be scientific or useful you want it to be useful. You want it to actually inform you. You don't just want it to be a fancy number. And I think sometimes people get led astray by counting things. What do you think? Yeah, like the, you have to always think about like the, the history of these things. And obviously there was a point in time when, well, it's still the same point in time now, um, but people are trying to understand resistance training better overall. And like you said, they're like coming up with different metrics that you could potentially track or use as proxies for you know, measuring this stuff, like to keep track of it. You know, again, that's a, a very valid thing to do. That's something that you do want to do as an individual who is trying to be scientific. You're like, okay, well, do we have a proxy for this? If we can't measure it directly, which is obviously the, you, you can't really measure muscle building directly as it's occurring. Like, yeah, you can measure it after the fact. You can't measure strength gain as it's occurring. Again, you can measure it after the fact, but in the moment you can't measure it. And also you can't really measure how, how much tension is on the muscle across a given workout? Well, not in any way that wouldn't involve, you know, cutting you up. Um, so you have to use a proxy measure. So you can understand how this kind of evolves where it's like, okay, so we need some sort of proxy to keep track of how much work we're doing. And this kind of measurement where you're like, okay, let's do a volume load where it's like reps times set times weight. We can keep track of that. So we can now keep track of the, the volume load of that exercise, that workout. But again, logically, it, it has a few issues inherent to it, which again, like you said, like it tells you nothing about the, we'll call it the, the quality of those sets. Again, they could be very, very low effort. They're not fatiguing. They're not you know anywhere near failure. Like they're eight reps in reserve or whatever. Uh, so they're not, it doesn't tell you anything about that. It's also people unfortunately use it to equate different exercises um which is definitely not what it's intended to do uh, especially if you're using something like say uh, a squat or a front trying to compare a front squat to a leg press you know like obviously the front squat volume load is going to be much lower than what you can load onto or sorry the volume load of a leg press because again like you could load up a thousand kilos on that leg press and do the same amount of reps and sets as you did on your front squats but the volume load for your leg press is 
greatly increased, but that's just because you're in a biomechanically better position to produce force. You know, that doesn't necessarily mean that there's actually more uh, hypertrophic stimulus occurring on the, the quads, the hamstrings, whatever. Uh, and that doesn't mean that there's greater strength gains occurring because of the, the leg press versus the, the front squat. So again, like it, there are some inherent issues. However, Gary, what would you feel like if someone was to use some sort of volume load and attach a, an RPE scale or an RIR scale to that? For example, they go, okay, I did whatever, 10 sets of 10 at 100 kilos, and that was all at an RPE 8. You know, so they calculate the, the volume load for an exercise. I, I'm just going to put it out there. I don't think working out volume loads for a workout overall is really ever valid because, again, it's like different exercises. Um, you, you can't really con- count the contribution of fatigue to that. Like, yeah, you can use it as some sort of metric over time to see that you are going up and, and potentially it has benefit. But Personally, I just think it, the only benefit you would ever have from volume load would be to compare exercise progress over time for a given individual, if, if that makes sense. But anyway, how do you feel about attaching a, an RIR scale or an RPE scale to the volume load scale? Yeah, like you could potentially, you know, you could do something like that. You could say, like, I think, I think it's, it's difficult because like you, you assume, you then assume like linearity and responses and stuff, but like leave that to the academics let's think about how this actually helps people. If you think about, let's say doing like 5,000 kilos of volume, and then you were to, you know, multiply that by 0.8 because your RPE was eight, you know, that, that might be something you could think about doing. But when you get, when you get to that point, you know, I think, I think there can be use from you, some useful information garnered from that. But like the way I think about like tracking things, like my goal, at least for our clients, my goal is always to have them track as little as possible or as little as is required for them to get the outcomes that they're looking for. And if it came to something like that, where we're doing, where we're saying, all right, 5,000 kilos of volume load, we're trying to consider RPE, I'd actually be just far more interested to, to know how many overall sets they were doing and to actually look at the specific weights. Because 5,000 kilos at an RPE 8, it doesn't actually necessarily tell you, um, like even if it was RPE 8, you could, you could be splitting that up over different repetition ranges, different, you know, set ranges. And I'm not exactly sure that they would then be the same thing. You know, for example, doing something like seven sets of three versus three sets of seven to try and equate the number of reps at a given weight um, or, or, or at different weights. You know, if you're working at a really high intensity, you could end up equating the RPE. You could end up equating the overall volume load, whereas doing sets of three to get to the same volume load at the same RPE is likely to lead to, somewhat different adaptations but definitely more fatigue um, than doing a more moderate repetition range from a hypertrophy perspective so i think you do still run into problems which is why my my very unscientific approach of just saying you know the number of the number of hard the number of challenging sets that you do um which is which is something that was kind of i think in greg knuckles wrote about it in like 2014 just basically saying look, all this is pretty fancy. Why don't we just actually count the number of hard sets? And at the time, you know, I think people were like, oh, that's kind of quite unscientific to just say hard sets. But if you think about it, it actually makes sense for people in the real world just to say, yeah, I I did five sets of squats. Yeah, they were all pretty challenging. But then what you're actually interested in is like one, what the repetition range was relative to like what you're trying to achieve. So if you're doing sets of three to five, that's probably more specific for a, a strength oriented individual who's focused at, on improving their one rep max or the three rep max or the five rep max. Whereas the eight to 12 rep range or six to 15 or whatever you want to call it 
probably what's going to what people are going to be working with more of the time if they're just looking for hypertrophy so you're thinking about right i, I did this I, these are my number of challenging sets this is the repetition range that they were in and then what you're thinking about is whether or not the numbers are actually progressing over time at a fixed rpe so you're generally going to be tracking that stuff in your program anyway so i think you can actually use that as just really useful basic information without necessarily calculating volume load so to your point I think you can make volume load work. You can try to find a way to make it work, but I don't. I see it as being more effort, more confusing for more people, without additional information being added to the picture. What do you think? Yeah, I, I would definitely agree. Um, like, obviously, it has potential uses if you're like, okay, well, I want to compare what I was doing at a certain stage. Because again, like you could argue that you know there's some subjective measures occurring you know where it's like okay well how was that on a reps in reserve and rpe or whatever like hard sets like what what's hard what does that yeah, mean hard. you know um so you can say oh there's a bit of subjectivity in there and you're like i want to get some sort of standardization if you're like okay i did three hard sets of squats that equated to whatever x amount of volume load and then you're like I, I want to just have that as a marker. You know, you, you write down your logbook, whatever. And then in six months time, you're like, okay, this workout, I also did three hard sets. You know, we're, we're obviously presuming similar rep range, you know, similar goal, whatever. Like you can't just change the, the workout parameters overall. Like you have to compare like to like, assuming all those things are the same. And you just want to go, oh, have I actually progressed? Like, I think it's a potential way. Again, it's a proxy. If you're like, okay, yeah, I can see uh maybe the the weight on the bar hasn't increased that much but you've got a few extra reps and you're like well i want to just quantify like how much uh, i've benefited you know like maybe you have a, a six to eight rep range you do three sets of it and again you're at the start of the year you were doing three sets of six and then two three four months down the line you're doing three sets of eight but it's the same weight and you're like oh, i want to like quantify that a little bit more in my head I, I like i don't like it's the same weight it feels like i haven't progressed even though i've got a few extra reps and you just want to have some sort of volume load number to be able to compare those two and you're like oh at the start of the year it was a thousand now it's 1200 okay i can see that i have increased by fucking whatever that is 20 percent. you know so it has potential you know value to put some sort of uh, number on a a hard a relatively hard thing to keep track of to measure like progress especially as you move past the intermediate into the kind of advanced like you're not going to be seeing great progress week to week month to month even year to year so having some sort of proxy number if you're like this workout is whatever three sets what well, well, they said the workout in total is 10 sets and it's a similar workout you did before you know um you're like, i just want to compare how I have increased over the last while. Like, yeah, it's, it's a potential, especially if the weights are very similar, you know, and you're like, okay, well, the RPE, the reps in reserve, they're also very similar. Um, but, you know, maybe you've increased a few reps here and there. Maybe you've done an extra set or something, you know. But again, it, like, ultimately, like you're saying, Gary, I think for most individuals, using something like a, the number of hard sets per week is a much better more robust i'd say uh, measure and obviously again there's subjectivity in that because what is hard and um, 
but then also using something like an RPE scale or a reps and reserve scale is handy on top of that. If you're like, okay, I'm classifying a hard set as anything over, we'll say seven, you know, RPE, you know, or below three reps in reserve. You know, if you're like, okay, we're just, I'm just using that as an arbitrary cutoff. You could, you could use something else. And then you can be like, okay, so during my week I did six of those sets, you know, and you're like, oh, well, actually, I w- I'm, I'm trying to get 10 of those sets. So next week, I know I need to get at least seven to have progressed hard sets. You know, I need to do at least seven hard sets. If your goal is 10 hard sets per week, you know, I'm just, again, it's arbitrary, you know, and you can just pay better attention. It's just an easier metric to be like, okay, cool. How, how hard were they? Or PE or reps in reserve? Cool. Because again, you should be potentially keeping track of this stuff. Um, and then you just look at the end of the week and you're like, okay, there were seven of those sets. Cool. Next week I want to do eight of those sets. You know, and again, it's create the workout, create the whole week as well. You know, um, I think it's much easier, more intuitive thing to do rather than, you know, whip your calculator out and be like, right on Monday I did this, uh, multiply sets times reps times weight. And you're like, okay, that was this many units. And then you're like, then on, on Thursday I did this. It was the same, same exercise, but I increased the weight and I dropped a few reps and it's like, okay, cool. Let me just work that out. And again, you're like trying to compare all this stuff at the end of the week. You have this fucking like calculator out, big problem sheet out. You're just like this, it, it's not, it's not quick. It's not fast. It's not very, it is intuitive, but it's not very meaningful because again, it's not, it's a proxy measure. It's not really measuring anything, even though it feels more scientific because you're calculating stuff. You know, it's in my mind, at least it's pretty much the same as just counting the hard sets. You know, one of them, it's like, it takes 30 seconds to look over your logbook and be like, all right, cool. Those exercises. Cool. I did eight of those. I did eight hard sets during the week. Whereas you're like, okay, let me get the calculator out here and calculate all these things out. And it's like, like one of them takes 30 seconds. The other one takes a couple of minutes. They both give you the same information at the end of the day. It's, you know? Yeah. Like I think the, the more we try and get like more and more specific with counting and tracking and with resistance training, like it almost always tends to fail. Like you see that with, you know, like even, even just thinking of things purely in terms of sets, I think we're very, very bad at like realizing the non-linearity of the responses. Like for example, if you were thinking purely in terms of volume load, or even if you're thinking purely in terms of more sets equals better, which I think is another stance that is held by a lot of people. Like you forget that like that first set, like probably has the most like potent stimulus as in like the difference between zero and one pretty big, you know, one and two sets. It's like, yeah, there's still probably a benefit there. Like three sets, yeah, probably still probably a benefit there. But your the response for each additional set is likely to diminish. You know, you're not going to, it's not like one set equals one unit of additional hypertrophy. Like the biggest differences you're going to get are between like zero and one. And it's going to diminish like as you add more and more and more sets on, onward. And you see that, for example, in um, training studies where they do, lots of sets in one given workout you know if you if you were to do three sets in a given workout versus five sets in a given workout versus 10 plus like the gains start to really diminish at the higher end and although you could be adding that into your volume load calculation saying i went from 3000 kilos of volume um on monday in in june to 10,000 kilos of volume um, in in december if that's all you're looking at you're looking at you're looking at it saying like oh cool i progressed but you haven't actually added any strength or added any muscle mass, then you are tracking things and tracking a variable that doesn't actually matter, that isn't leading to the outcomes that you are actually 
your, you desire. So that is another thing to consider here is that there is a non-linear response to the training that you do. And that's important to consider as well when people are thinking about, for example, doing a, a lower volume training phase. Some people really worry that, you know, taking a couple of weeks where they just train three days per week, they do less volume overall, that that's going to lead to like a reversal of some of their, some of their adaptations. That's pretty often not the case because it is like that, that first little bit of training that you do that's the most potent you know those early sets they're the most potent so even if you had to strip back to one to two sets per day you're still probably getting a a pretty significant portion of the overall stimulus that you're applying in that training session um obviously like as you get more advanced you might have to do a little bit more and you have to add more on and this isn't necessarily making the case for just doing one set per workout but uh, it is a case for understanding the non-linear response understanding that we can't just look at numbers and assume that uh, an increasing stimulus equals increased adaptations and there's probably a point where increasing stimulus or increasing our quantification of training volume that that's probably going to lead to reductions in adaptations at some point there's probably going to come a point where you're just doing so much volume that you're potentially just digging in unnecessarily to your recovery resources um, to your energy energy stores and potentially compromising your adaptations to that session and that's why you really i think we should make the case for just like thinking about how your training is intertwined with your adaptations as opposed to just measuring training and not measuring the adaptations. Because if your numbers on your lifts are not moving up over time, but all your supposedly reliable metrics that you're tracking are going in the direction that, that you think they should be, then you really want to consider the reliability of those metrics. Because like you could definitely see a case where someone might be maintaining their, their volume load, but they could be still be gaining muscle. They could still be gaining strength. And that's particularly the case for strength because um, I know volume load became quite popular in, in powerlifting circles a number of years ago. Um, I know Blaine Norton used to, used to use it quite a bit um, before he got injured, but like, like, yeah, he made great progress and everything, but when it got popular in powerlifting circles, it can be even more misleading there because your volume load it could, it could be increasing drastically, but your one at max might be going anywhere because you're just doing more overall work, but you're not working specific to you're trying to. Strength on. Um, and that's not necessarily considering. So remember, your training, when you're thinking about your training, you're thinking about trying to quantify your training, try to quantify your difficult to do, especially if you're thinking about hypertrophy, because it's very difficult to measure muscle mass. And I don't just mean that from the perspective of the everyday person, difficult to measure in research studies, you know, because growth is quite slow. You know, it's quite difficult to measure. If you're just measuring arm circumference, there's a lot of different things that go into arm circumference, you know? Um, so if you, if you were to, if I, like if I was to say, something that I think is quite useful. It's probably like your moderate rep strength across multiple sets over time. You know, if you see yourself going from three sets of eight at hundred kilos in the bench press to four sets of 12 at hundred kilos in the bench press, like, and, and you're gaining weight in that period of time. I think that is like, it's not very scientific, but I think it's a pretty good indicator that you're probably moving in the direction of gaining muscle, you know? Yeah. Like I always look at all this stuff and it's, it's a principle that, I first learned through like economics, like, cause I do enjoy studying economics. Well, I enjoy reading about it. I wouldn't say that's studying, but anyway, um, it's, uh, you have to look at all of these things, any kind of modality that you're bringing in, any kind of metric that you're tracking, whatever it is, you always have to look at like, what does that incentivize? Right. 
Uh, and again, like I learned this from economics. It's like, okay, well, if you tax a certain person or a population, who does that actually incentivize? Does that incentivize the, the outcome that you want? I think Thomas Sell was the first person that I really heard talking about this uh, in a way that like kind of resonated with me. Um, I can't, he has some good quotes on it. But either way, you just look at who, who does this actually incentivize or what does this actually incentivize, you know? And using this as a, a metric to look at training parameters, I think it's actually really, really beneficial. It's even more beneficial when you look at it in terms of uh, how people quantify or track their training, right? Because the thing that, like, tracking your volume load, what that incentivizes, if you have a certain thing where you're like, more volume load is better, the th- the the training program so that incentivizes doesn't necessarily lead to the outcomes that you want to achieve. What I mean by that is, you know, if you track volume load, you can get a way higher volume load with a lower weight and more sets, you know, um, or choosing exercises that allow you to be in a, a bit better you know, biomechanical position to, you know, lift more load not necessarily increase more tension on the muscle, which is actually what you want to do, you know? So tracking your volume load can be very deceptive in that it incentivizes you to train a certain way that isn't necessarily conducive to the results you want to achieve, you know? So ultimately, in my mind at least, I'm like that, that kind of not invalidates it, but makes it a poor strategy, you know? Like if it's making you favor a training methodology that leads to poorer results, then it's not a great tracking method, you know? And this is also something, you know, when people talk about, uh, you know, maximum recoverable volume, maximum effective volume and all that kind of stuff. And then use that as a, 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 a training strategy where they're like, Oh, well, I'm just going to increase the number of sets I do per week. Right? They're like, okay, I'm going to start off with three sets and I'm going to go four or five, six. And they, they, they keep progressing that upwards because they're like, oh, I want to get up towards my maximum recoverable volume because they have the belief here. I'm not saying this is like the Mike Israel's or Renaissance periodization's belief or anything like that. I'm just saying that people that implement this, it kind of incentivizes them to look at training in a certain way where they're like, okay, I'm just going to add more sets because more sets equals more volume you know, uh, overall, and that potentially leads to more growth, you know, that's how some people implement this. But if you look at that, the, the way you can, the, the, what, what that actually incentivizes is for you to train at the maximum recoverable volume all the time. Like if you, if you think about it, it's like, well, if I believe, if my belief system says that more sets or more volume overall is better then you want to train with the most amount of volume you can possibly train with at all times, you know? And that's not necessarily the, the highest amount of volume. It's, it's the amount of volume that you can always recover from and do day in, day out, like all the time. You know, again, like rather than starting at three sets and then next week doing four sets and then five sets and then six sets and building it up over time, you would be much better off looking at it over a training block, a, a, a month, a week, or sorry, a month, uh, uh, a quarter, a year, like you're better off over that entire period of time. Just always training that will say like the, the most you can do is six sets, you know, you're just better off always training at four sets because over the entire year, you then accumulate more volume, you know? So again, like you have to look at like, what, what does this 
what, what does your, your metric and what does your belief system prioritize? And does that actually lead to the outcome that you want to lead to, you know? Yep. I agree. Like to be fair, um, like, and you, you kind of alluded to it. I'm pretty sure that the, like Mike Israel used to, used to have more of a, a kind of a, a radical stance on that in terms of like training close to MRV all the time. However, he even kind of changed his own approach as far as I'm aware um, it, that towards kind of saying, all right, maybe we want to go near that maximum recoverable volume, like the most you could possibly do and recover from sometimes. But the majority of the time you want to be around kind of like a mid range where like you're at a level where it's the most you're probably going to be getting pretty good adaptations to like, yeah, you could do more, but it's not necessarily beneficial. However, like, like you kind of said, most people straw man that position. And when they hear maximum recoverable volume, they think, all right, more volume, better. Let's see how much I can actually get away with. You know, and I've seen that with some people where they've been doing literally up to like genuinely 40 to 60 sets per body part per week. Like that's not uncommon. If you look in like a lot of bodybuilding, bodybuilding gyms or people who are into just strictly bodybuilding, it's not uncommon for them to do, you know, a back workout on Monday and a back workout on Tuesday, on Thursday where they're doing, you know, uh, five sets of wide grip pull downs, five sets of under grip pull downs, uh, five sets of uh, overhand uh, pronated rows, five sets of dumbbell rows. You know, you can be doing easily 20 plus sets per workout and they're doing that twice per week. It's like, it really starts to add up. So this stuff does happen in the real world. And I think, I just think it's harder for people to understand like that there is this level where your, prob- your adaptations are probably going to be pretty sweet. That's going to vary for everyone. And that more beyond, that isn't necessarily better because clearly like you know any of us like people do the same thing with nutrition they think that if they eat less uh, and keep eating less that's always going to lead to more you know fruitful outcomes but there's and yeah that is the case sometimes but there's always other things to consider and it's never as simple as just more or less is better you know yeah like as i said like i like i don't think it is their their stance like my yeah, stance yeah. or renaissance periodiza- periodizations stance um but it is how people implement it then because again, yeah. it's like, again, it's like, Oh, well you said maximum. So that means in my mind, maximum, you know, where again, like if you actually think about the system, if you, if you think volume equals growth, then what you want to do is the most amount of volume over a given time period, you know, and that time period is a year, two years, three years, four years. Cause again, muscle growth is a, a multi-year thing. It's not like a, a weekly thing, you know, or a daily thing is, yeah, you have to do those habits daily, weekly, whatever, and add up to the year, 10 years, whatever. But again, you want to look at not just a snapshot of that workout. If you're like, Oh, I, I trained at my maximum recoverable volume for that given workout. Like that's, that's not important to me. I want to see like, how was your, what was the, the maximum amount you could do or how could you set up your sets to do the maximum amount over a multi-year period because then you think about it, like you do your absolute maximal recoverable volume it's like that's that's just on the limit like if you do even a little bit more than that like then the, the next workout you're you're going to have to do less because you're fatigued coming into it you're not able to progress as much whereas you were just always better off you can just do the maths yourself always better off doing just a little bit below that and doing that for longer over time you know because effectively that's what they end up doing well again i'm not talking about mike or uh race periodization but the people that follow it they end up doing that where they do like a week with three sets a week with four sets a week with five sets a week with six sets a week with seven sets you know they slowly build that uh the number of sets up over a number of weeks whereas you get the same outcome potentially even better 
when you just do, we'll say five sets per week from the start, you know, where it's like, you don't have three weeks where you're below that and you don't have three weeks where you're above that. You're just always at that level, which is always recoverable because you're never getting up into the, the higher echelons and you never have to, you know, recover from that, you know? But again, it, 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 there's so many ways to skin a cat with this stuff. And obviously you can change parameters and do certain things at certain stages for a certain goal or a certain outcome. And that's perfectly valid. I'm not saying that any approach is bad, good, or indifferent. But anyway, to wrap this up, Gary, volume load. Should we use it? When should we use it? Or should we just forget about it? Honestly, I think just forget about it, to be honest. Like, um, it's, it's quite a, a cold stance. But like, when I think about like adding in these metrics, they really have to be useful. You know, there's, there's no point just trying to count up loads of different things just for the sake of it if it's not really helping you. And I think for the vast majority of people, I just don't see much of a reason to try and quantify it. I've done it in the past with clients. Like, and when I started counting it up, I'm like, how can I actually use this information? And I found myself you know, having to try and have these conversations with clients to explain, you know, the drawbacks, the pros, the cons, because what, what could happen is you go from one phase to the next and suddenly their volume load is lower because you've changed some of the parameters and it's like, all right, well, like it's, it's kind of hard to explain exactly like why this is still going to lead to positive adaptations because I've actually told the person that this is the metric that we're using. So personally, I don't think it's particularly useful. I can't think of an example where it would be better than just using the information you have in front of you on your program already. I think that's the key thing here is that, you know, someone might say, they might listen to this podcast, they might say, but why would I, why bother tracking the number of sets and reps and stuff? So it's like, well, that's on your program already. Like if you're following a program, you know how many sets you're doing because it's, it's in front of you. You know how many reps you're doing because they're in front of you. It's programmed. And then assuming you're logging your training, you can look back and say, all right, I did three sets of six, then I did three sets of seven, they were both the same RPE, and then I actually got to four sets of eight two months later, and that was the same RPE again. So that, to me, looks like progress, and boom, and that's, that's when you start to move forward. Um, so yeah, I think the numbers can be comforting for people because it gives you a kind of a short-term thing that you can work on and it makes you look like you're, prog you're progressing, but I think, as you said, like, it's a really, really good point, it can incentivize poor training practices and without much of a benefit and incentives to the contrary, I'm, I'm thinking that it, it probably wouldn't be very useful, you know? Yeah, the, the, I would be in the exact same boat. The only time that I ever see a use for it is when you are in that very advanced stage or again, like moving into that very advanced stage. And because progress is so hard to see, if you're like, okay, I just want to have some sort of metric where it's not as subjective, you know, using that being like, okay, I'm, I'm counting hard sets, I'm counting, you know, reps in reserve or PE or whatever. And I did this workout a couple of months later, I did this workout and they're very similar. It's hard to kind of see where progress has been. Weight is maybe up a little bit. Like you can use it then to be like, okay, so that was whatever, 20,000 volume units. And this one was 22,000 volume units. Okay. I, I'm clearly making progress here you know because you're first of all comparing the same exercise it's the same individual it's presumably the same rpe or reps in reserve so all the other metrics are the same like obviously again like the, the exercises at the same point in the workout you know all that kind of stuff and you're basically just looking for something to kind of take a little bit of the subjectivity out of it for you as an individual and just to see just to kind of confirm with yourself 
that what you have been doing is is working. But other than that, I don't really see a huge, huge role for it. And even at that, I'm like, like first of all, that's very few people. Like very few people are getting into that advanced stage of, of training, you know, where they where they really need to do that. And second of all, it's like, well, like even then it's it's just kind of a, a reassurance than something that I would use regularly. It's more so kind of like oh, I've been training for whatever, six, eight months and I kind of feel like I'm progressing, but you know, I don't really know. Like there's just this kind of doubt starts creeping into your mind and having some sort of hard, solid number that's, you know, scientifically calculated, it, it can kind of be a bit reassuring. But I, I don't think it is something that I would be using, you know, consistently throughout my training. Because like you said, if you go from like a high volume training block into a slightly lower volume training block, like say for example, you go from doing three sets of 12 to doing three sets of eight. Inherently, even if the, there's going to be a time period where the the weight isn't high enough to even equate the volume load, you know? So you were doing three sets of 12 and that fucking is a huge volume load. It was three sets of 12 at fucking whatever, 100 kilos. And then you go to three sets of eight and you're only able to do 105 kilos, whatever. You know, it's, it's not potentially there's a, a big difference between those two. So it looks like you've gone from this high volume load block to this low volume load block. And again, if you start thinking that, oh, well, it's the higher volume load equals better progress, that can be incentivizing to do that and can just always incentivize you to do super high volume, you know, which isn't necessarily the, the goal or isn't necessarily going to lead to the goal that you want. So in summary, there are nonlinear responses to training. More isn't always better. Um, counting things just for the sake of it isn't necessarily more scientific. It can potentially just confuse you and lead you astray, incentivize poor training practices. And yeah, keeping it, keeping it simple with what you're tracking is actually pretty damn useful. But more important than anything else, don't get so caught up in tracking uh, like surrogate markers that you forget to track the potential markers that you're actually interested in such as adding more weight to the bar over time, you know, increasing your body weight, you know, because if you're worried about your volume load and even the number of sets that you're doing and you're staying at the same body weight, you're not consuming sufficient calories, like you're really just missing the boat, you know? Um, so yeah, they'd be our summary points, I guess. And you have anything else to add before we wrap it up? I have nothing else to add. I actually just on that maintaining your body weight obviously that could be the goal for some people if you are like a class athlete or something that's perfectly fine but even then i I would always argue that like i was like a a 10 percent rule where you try to get yourself like 10 percent over where you want to be if that makes sense like say like uh, i'm doing brazilian jiu-jitsu the weight class is whatever 93 with the gi on so that's 91 kilos so for me you know getting over about 10 percent allowing myself to get about 10 percent over that body weight you know, to progress the results, you know, progress strength gains, whatever, like that in my mind, I'm like, that's, that's perfectly acceptable. And that may be a good approach long-term stop fucking happen yourself. Um, yeah, maybe a good approach long-term to kind of allow you potentiate some faster or greater gains. Um, but again, it, it shouldn't be a, a huge delin or a huge jump away from where you ultimately need to be. Anyway, Gary, where can people find us? Where can people engage with our services? What can they engage with? All of that fun stuff. Triage Method newsletter. 
out every Sunday morning. Get on it. You can subscribe in the description box below. That's where we send out all of our content that we've posted across the week, along with other resources that we think might be of interest to you. You can also just get involved in the Triage Method community. That's our Facebook group. And that's a community with hundreds and hundreds of people just like you, or maybe not like you at all, who happen to be interested in fitness and all things, you know, health, science, etc. cetera. Um, and we have some interesting discussions in there and obviously post anything that we think might be of use, of use to people. And um, you could, of course, engage with our services, one-to-one coaching, group coaching, program templates, and beginner ebook, you know, depending on the amount of guidance that you want. If you're like, ah, I don't want to talk to these guys. I just want to buy something and see what they're about. Let's read their content. Let's use one of their programs. Program templates are useful as is the beginner's ebook. The beginner's ebook is probably a bit more comprehensive in terms of delivering the information that you actually need to understand to begin to start making some of these decisions yourself. The group coaching then is kind of next tier. You know, it's, it's like middle of the road. You get contact with us. We'll review your training clips. You'll have a program. You'll have nutrition guidelines. And we'll help you make decisions along the way. But it's a bit more hands-off and a much lower cost. Um, so that's male and female options available there as well. And then one-to-one coaching, of course, is for the people who they need the accountability. They've got specific goals. They know what they need to work on. Um, they, they want us to really help them dial things in, get specific, um, more support. That's one-to-one coaching. And we have spaces available for that as well. So that is all our services. That's absolutely beautiful, Gary. I would also like to say that I am sorting out some merchandise. Um, merch. Triage merch. Um, so hopefully that'll be available in the next while. I'm waiting for some samples to come in. Um, so you'd be able to engage with that kind of stuff as well, if that's something that you like. So I know like people like to wear hoodies and T-shirts and stuff like that of the people they listen to, the the content that they consume, etc. Um, so hopefully we'll have a little more of that uh, in the shop uh, in the next few weeks, hopefully the next few days after this comes out. But I will be in the guts of the, the my exams because this is coming out on Thursday. I have exam my first exam is on the Friday, so my first exam will be tomorrow. You will have done a few exams by then, won't you? My first exams in twenty three hours, and it is Sunday now. So his first exam was on Monday. Yep. But you're finished. I'm actually done. I'm actually done now. It's Thursday, so I'm done. Easy. It's too easy. I'll only have just, well, I won't even have started yet. But anyway, that's all we have time for. That's all we want to say. Um, as per usual, guys, I hope you enjoyed the content and we'll see you that's again. That's good, Daniel.